Welcome to Barry Pirro's Haunted Happenings podcast, The Interviews, where I have in-depth conversations about the paranormal, the spiritual, and the unexplained with experts in the field and with those who have had first-hand encounters. We're just about ready to start, so turn off your lights, sit back, and enjoy the ride. I'm Barry Pirro, and today I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to interview Chris O'Connor, co-founder of the Eastern Connecticut Paranormal Society and gifted medium. Chris has been aware of his psychic abilities for most of his life, and he discovered at a young age that he was able to receive visions and messages from those who have passed on. In 2017, Chris was asked if he could get any information about a family member named Mike who had been missing for 10 days. The family had already contacted the police, but they hadn't come up with any leads in the case. Chris reluctantly agreed to help the family, and by connecting with Mike, he was able to provide incredibly accurate information about Mike's death and its circumstances. Welcome, Chris. Hello. Before we dive into Mike's cold case, I'd like to start way back when you were young and you first realized that you were a gifted medium. What was the earliest memory you have of being able to communicate with the dead? The first time I received a vision, I was probably four. My mother was a gifted medium, so she understood what was happening with me. And at four, a Native American came and visited me. I described this guy to my mom, and basically the message was to be at peace. That was my first, and then I had many episodes of that. I was born a twin. He died at birth. So I used to speak with him. And then as I grew, I would write things down or I would draw things. Actually, this is not my first profiling. I profiled one at 16 as well. That was of a very close family and, and police report put down suicide. But the gentleman came to me and told me it wasn't suicide. And that was another family member who did it to him. He was shot. And I told my mother and she got a similar message. Are you seeing these people or just getting the information or both? Some of the, the stronger visions I get are as if we are sitting next to each other talking, as it was with Mike. If you can picture it like watching a movie, you know Mike's next to you and he's kind of guiding you through his journey. Basically walking through it with holding the camera, you can see everything that's going on. So tell us about that case. How did you get this case? My sister called me. This friend, he was close to my sister's family, and she was just curious. Can you get any information on him? My sister sent me a picture, and I looked at the picture, and I said, all right, Michael, what do you want to tell me? And no more than saying those words, you know, I started collecting information. And unfortunately, the first message he gave me is that he was dead, that he wasn't missing. He proceeded to tell me the story. So it wasn't hard at all for you to get this information from him. It was really all just coming out, right? Oh, yeah. It was meant to be. I was the vessel to get this information and to pass it along. And again, at this point, he's still a missing person. So yeah. now he's coming forward saying, no, I'm not really missing. I'm dead. And now I have this information and I have to give it to somebody. And his family members are hoping that he went out and just walked away from life uh, and hoping that he was still alive. You know, now I have to tell them, you know, Mike came to me and this is his story and he's dead. 
How many family members were you in touch with? Two of them, his mother and his aunt. How did they take the news that you were giving them? Because that's really tough news to receive. First, I got a text from my sister saying, his mother's going to call you. And I'm like, like when? I, I This is something I need to prepare for, you know? But as soon as I read the text, the phone rang. So she asked, is Mike dead? And I said, yes. And of course, she cries. And what I found remarkable is that she is a very strong Baptist Christian woman. And that ideology usually don't believe in those who claim to have psychic abilities. So her immediate belief, what I said was true, surprised me. But the most important part of the message that I was able to give her is that if it makes you feel at ease or if it make you feel any better is that his grandfather was there and he walked, his grandfather and Jesus walked him back to heaven. And that made her feel, that made her cry more, but it made her feel better. When we think of cold cases, we think of psychic mediums showing up on the scene and maybe holding an object that once belonged to the missing person. But that's not what happened with you. You lived quite a distance from where this took place. How much of a distance was there between you and where this happened? It was in the South. Um, I'm going to just say that much. So this was a totally remote case. How would you describe what you're doing to get information from such a long distance? You mean some people might refer to as astral projection or going on a journey. And that's kind of how I look at it. I went on a journey. I went into a a meditative state with Mike basically leading me the way and him showing me what needed to be shown so I can take those messages back to my sister and his family members. So Mike comes to you and you get that initial information from him. Were you getting more information from him over time? I did three journeys to gather all that information, and that's usually how it works. It's basically watching a two-hour movie, but having a, you know two intermissions. It's exhausting and challenging on the individual who's doing the journey, and it's troublesome for the person giving the message. They want to make sure, particularly in this case, that they're not leaving anything out. So it, it was a three-part journey. The first part initially got the message that he was dead. And he knew he was dead, and he knew how he died. Now, did he share that with you then, or did you have to probe him for information? He knew how he died, but he didn't give me the information about who had done the murder until the second visit. And more information, like we talked about in the blog, mile marker 18, or the number 18, it was a conversation between his aunt and I, why that number was significant. Initially, I thought he was going to be found 18 days after he went missing, or he was going to be found on the 18th day of the month. Mike showed me where he was, and it was his aunt that said, okay, this is what that number means. He initially told me he was dead and how he died. And the second visit is more to tell me who he saw kill him. And then the third journey was kind of like a wrap up, but, you know, telling me to be careful about law enforcement. There's a lot of corruption within the law enforcement and be very careful with his daughter's family. When he's telling you the number 18, what was that like? How was he giving you that information? He just kept yelling out the number 18. This is something that he was seeing where he was at number 18 or yelling, it's 18, 18, go to 18. One thing he kept saying, if they don't come, it's going to be too late. If you speak with other uh, psychics, they'll get information. They're like, what the heck does that mean? (laughs) There's times when you do have to rely on the living to get answers to what the message means. 
you had provided some really specific information about the blue blanket. Now, is that something that Mike said to you, or are you sort of hovering above the scene and seeing these things? Mike brought me to where he was placed after he was um, stabbed, and that's where he died, was where they dropped him. And he showed, he was, would say, half in the water, half not in the water. They just threw him in, there's a river right there, and they uh, threw him there. He was wrapped up in a, you know, the the moving blankets that they wrap furniture with, that's what he was wrapped up in. I saw it. And you said it was by uh, some sort of a bridge that crossed over water? Yeah, it was a, a train viaduct, and that's where mile marker 18 comes. It's sort of like in retrospect, you said, oh, that's what 18 meant. And it seemed that, that his mom put it together right away. His aunt. Oh, I'm sorry, his aunt. And you said that she had actually gone to the scene? He, she was been battling with the law enforcement, like, you got to go here, you got to go here, you got to go here. And they were very close to arresting her for impeding the process. She disregarded all that. And when she went down to that location, that's when she saw the law enforcement. She got to mile marker 18. Was that on a road, mile marker 18? It's not like a road with like pavement. Mile marker 18 is actually for the train. How he got there was, you know, basically a truck that, you know, grass, the grass was low. basically a road that traveled the train train line. Yeah, I know what you mean. A road that kind of runs alongside the tracks. You know, as we're talking, I'm wondering if his aunt had her own psychic ability. That seems like a really hard thing to put together. Like, oh, 18 must mean the 18th mile marker along the road. Well, she worked there. She had worked for the railroad system. And you put the pieces together, you know, this is, there's a biotech that goes over this body of water. She took that information. She goes, mile marker 18. And I'm like, what does that mean? Or actually, how she said it to us, my sister was on the other line. She goes, that area that I described, she didn't know about the 18, I think, at the time. She started talking about that area is mile marker 18 through 22. And then my, both my sister and my went, what did you just say? And we're like, that's where you need to go. You need to go to that area. And how he described the area, Mike was so good at this. He described everything to a lot of detail. It was helpful for me to gather information. Now, what were his surroundings were? He was very concerned that if they didn't get there, it would be too late. And it turned out it was. What is his attitude? I, I don't know if that's a good word, but is he very anxious to get this out? Is he very calm when he's telling this to you? Is he agitated? Um, he's got a, a mixed emotions because we go through different things. Initially, he's surprised. He doesn't understand why they did this at first. And then he's learning more of the story, too. He, he's getting information. That's where I talk about in the blog about false loyalty. He's getting this information to give to me. Well, he's also on a fact-finding mission. He wants to know what happened to him, right, right. why they did this. And so working together, we get to ultimately the ultimate goal. At first, he's surprised, and he's definitely pissed. If you were to meet Mike in person, this guy's big. <laughs> um, he's probably 6'3", and he was angry that he got caught by surprise. Because if this was a fist fight between the two men that I saw, he would have whooped him, with no doubt. I mean, he was a big, strong construction guy. Very sorrowful. He has a two-year-old daughter, or at that time, she was two. And the idea that he would never be able to interact with her again made him very sad. Um, he was sad for his mom. He didn't really know how she was going to get through this. 
So you, you get the information about the blanket, which again was amazing, very specific. You could see the spot where he is, and you said that you knew how he was killed. You said that he was stabbed. Now, when everything came to a conclusion and his body was found, you were correct about all of that. What was that information that Mike was giving you about how he was killed? What was the scenario he presented? The two men that he saw kill him, he knew. They worked for the company that he worked for. The initial blow was being hit in the head, which knocked him silly, if you will. And then Benny was stabbed twice and transported where they dumped him into the other river. My theory is they were hoping that nature would have all the evidence. Deep south, there's alligators down there. There's cougars down there. There's, you know, wildlife that would have taken care of the evidence, if you will. Now, those injuries were very specific, the places where he was stabbed. I know you couldn't have known about any of this beforehand because his body hadn't even been discovered yet. Nobody could have known. But the information about the injuries came out later, right? Right. He was stabbed twice. One that wouldn't have killed him, it was, was on the right side, but the one that stabbed him in the upper chest that went that killed him and actually it cut his heart, that all was found during the autopsy. He was hit in the head and... He was stabbed twice, and then they found that it was validated through the autopsy. Yeah, that's interesting. That's amazing. Did he die right away, or did he die when they threw him into the water? He died at the river. He died at the river, so he wasn't dead when they wrapped him up in the blanket. That's horrifying. So the police didn't want you involved, I'm sure, and you weren't there physically anyway. But the family is trying to say, hey, we've got this information, and we got it from this medium. What are the police saying? Because I know at one point they were saying, stay out of this. But what were the police saying about this? They're uh, unbelievable. You know, policemen have to have tangible evidence to, to prosecute anything. You know, and you see it on TV. And in actually real life policemen, many of them go off hunches, you know. And, and in a sense, that's kind of what I would say it's maybe the beginning of an inability. You know, if you go on a hunt, you have a gut feeling that something or the investigation should go this way. For all the law enforcement out there, trust your gut, you're probably right. And I thought it was interesting that as the family's providing the police information yeah. in the area that they're already searching, what would it hurt to look at mile marker 18 or to, to go do some of the things that they're suggesting if they're already looking in those areas? Well, initially, mile marker 18 was a fair distance away from where Mike was last. They thought it was out of the question that he'd be that far. Uh, and, and to me, I'm like, well, it's a road that's traveled. I mean, it's not like somebody had to heave him over their shoulder and carry him that far. There, it, there's space to get there in a vehicle. And, you know, anything in a vehicle is not that far. He said it'll be too late. He was worried that it would be too late. And you had mentioned in the blog that his body was moved. What was that about? Psychically, I was getting the impression that these two men felt guilty for what they've done. They were lied to and going back to the false loyalty and they moved him back so he could be found. At least give some closure to the family. Was this like a hired hit? You know, I'm, I'm listening to you say two people killed him. Were they told to do that? Did you yes. get that sense? Yeah, they were. And do you know who told them to do it? I do. And you shared that with the family as well, I assume? I did. Oh. I can elaborate. I don't think I did so much in the... I didn't elaborate too much into the blog, but essentially there was drugs involved. Mike was not a drug addict. Mike was actually a very clean, very non-drug person, very anti-drug person. Dated this woman, got her cleaned up. They started a relationship, had a child, and her behavior started changing a little after the child turned a year. 
and be, um, started using drugs again. Mike was filing for full custody of their daughter, and mom wasn't going to have that. She brought in a family member and uh, another man, told them that Mike was molesting his daughter, he was beating his daughter, doing all these bad things. And that's where the false loyalty was. This woman told these two men a bunch of lies about Mike. And then culturally, where they're from, it's not allowed. So they took matters into their own hands. Now, you had mentioned about some lie detector tests that were given to employees where he worked and that there were two people who failed the lie detector test. How does that fit into what you came up with? These, uh, with my ability to describe these people, my description matched the two men who failed the lie detector very closely. And Mike's mom, who has a close relationship with the company and who works there, she knew exactly who I was speaking of. Because I described the two men. These are the two men that I see. I described a white man and a black man. White man was shorter and the black man was taller. You know, I went through some facial description and even down to how these two men knew each other. And she picked up on it. She goes, those are the two men that failed the lie detector. I said, well, those are the two men that I would look at. I see them. I see their faces. Clear as a day. I, I mean, I, I, I could pick them out of a lineup. I had. You could pick them out of a lineup? Or if oh, someone yeah. showed you a mugshot that you would say, oh, that's them. Yeah. You could say I'm a psychic witness. Yeah, exactly. So now we come to the part of the story where his body was found. What was the condition of the body? What state was it in? The state of decomposition, basically skeletal and the clothes that he was wearing. They found him a year later. So they probably had their work cut out for them to figure out what happened to him. And yet... They were able to figure out through the autopsy that his skull was fractured. So that lined up exactly with what you said. And the knife wounds were evident as well. So that's really incredible any way you look at it. So the case is still open. They didn't catch the killers, obviously, because um, you would tell us they got the guys and those were the guys I said. I um, wish I could have. Yeah. So, it, but it's still open. So I'm assuming that the police are still looking into it. And yet, if there's some corruption in the police department, maybe there are some people putting blocks on finding the actual killers for this. Maybe no one will ever be convicted. Something's going on because it was about six months. So a year and a half after they found Mike, I was contacted by a lawyer who was also a, a documentarian. He wanted to put my findings into the show and a whole conference call was set up and waited and waited and waited and waited. And then I found out later that the police department put a squash on that. What was the purpose of wanting your information? Where was that going to go? Basically, the information I was going to give her was one angle to solving the crime. He wanted to take what I knew and put it out to the public. Is there anybody that fits this description or anyone that fits this scenario, has any information regarding the information that I provided, basically to get tangible evidence from a witness or someone in the area. I'm convinced that Mike's murder will be solved just for the simple fact that the two men felt guilt, moved him back to where he could be found. I think one or both of them are going to submit to their guilt and confess. I believe that's the path that we'll, it will go. And how's the family today? Have you been in touch with them? The last communication I had about their family was through my sister and watching the video, a recent video online 
of Mike's mom pleading for someone to come forward. So she's doing her due diligence. She's not listening to law enforcement. From what I understand from my sister, neither is his aunt. So I think between the two women down there, they're going to get to the bottom of this. There wasn't any reason for him to die. I'm thinking about the blog that you have. And, you know, that's a really important piece of information that people could look at, not only for that one case, but also to, to look towards you as someone who could maybe help. Is this something you would like to go into and help more people with? Case Some by thing? case basis, Harry, yeah. I, I think any true psychic medium needs to admit that not every story is theirs to tell. I was chosen by Mike to give the message out. But there's times when we just don't, we're not the ones to, we're not the right person to receive the message. Either we may not be able to deliver it or deliver it accurately. So I would do it again if it was the right case. Sounds like you were the exact right person for Mike. Yeah. And, and I think that's the case with anything. If I'm the right person to receive the messages and deliver them, then I'll do it. But those people who want to seek me out have to have that understanding that I may not be the person. If they did seek you out, how would they get in touch with you? They can contact me through my paranormal website, Eastern Connecticut Paranormal, easternctparanormal.com. You know, you've come up with some incredible information, really, really accurate information. I was given incredible. This is yeah. Mike's journey. That, and I think I want to emphasize that with your audience, that I was just a vessel. I was the person on the other, other end of the line to give the messages. This is Mike's journey. It was his way of communicating. It's what we have has been given to us. And Mike recognized that I could pass it along. Well, thank you again, Chris. I really appreciate it. Stay in touch. We'll see where this all leads. Hopefully to a conclusion where they capture Mike's murderers. All righty. Thanks, Barry.